This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Overcomers, God's Vision for You to Thrive in an Age of Anxiety and Outrage, written and narrated by pastor and best-selling author Matt Chandler, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture, brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table, where we discuss issues of God and culture, and today our topic is immigration, and we're going to take a special look at issues related to uh, the Latino population uh, here in the United States. And I have four guests, and we're actually doing something for the first time. We've got uh, two people with us via Skype, so we're getting technologically a little more uh, advanced as we move along. Uh, Let me introduce our guests. I'll begin with Samuel Rodriguez, who is president of the National Hispanic Leadership Conference, and he is here via Skype, uh, and uh, he's in the blue shirt there. And then uh, Daniel Carroll Rodas is distinguished professor of Old Testament at Denver Seminary. He is our other Skype presence, uh, and he is the one who will have the books in the background because he teaches Old Testament. When you teach Old Testament, you got to do a lot of studying. And then uh, I have uh, as well Alejandro Mandes, who is executive director for Immigrant. Immigrant Hope and National Director for Hispanic Ministries for the Evangelical Free Church, and he has flown in today from San Antonio. And then Soraya Marin, who is a missionary in transition, who works with people who uh, immigrate to this country, and she can kind of tell the practical side of what's involved in that. So you can see we have assembled a, a, a broad panel of of experts to deal with the topic of immigration, particularly as it relates uh, to the Latino population here in the United States. Let me just launch by giving some statistics, and then I'll have each of you introduce yourselves by telling how you have uh, how you uh, are doing what you're doing. Um, the Pew Research Hispanic Center on January of this year, 2013, released a report called A Nation of Immigrants, and reported that there are 40.4 million immigrants in the United States as of the year 2011. That's obviously well over 10 percent of the uh, total uh, population. And so that's a very significant portion of our population that is uh, here. And according to a recent survey, and when they asked public attitudes about the amount of immigrants in the country, uh, it says that 39% said that dealing with the issue of illegal immigration should be a top priority for the President and for the Congress. That sounds like a lot, but it actually makes it the 17th highest ranked issue when that question is asked. Um, whereas one-third of the Hispanics present said uh, that the issue of immigration was important to them personally. Uh, and then if you ask them what should be done, 28 percent said that dealing with illegal immigration should be given tighter restrictions, while 27 percent said a path to citizenship should be a priority, and 42 percent said both tactics should be given equal priority. I think that's an interesting split in terms of what people think uh, should be done. So that kind of sets the table for where we're headed. Uh, Samuel, I'll ask you to begin. Uh, uh, 
tell us what you do and tell us how you uh, how you uh, came to that role and also uh, whether you have been here all your life or not. You know, well, by the grace of God, I preside over the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference, which is the Hispanic Evangelical Association. Uh, 40,118 member churches throughout the 50 states in Puerto Rico. Uh, started by Dr. Jesse Miranda in 1992 as Amen. And uh, it's been a wonderful journey. I was born in the Republic of New Jersey. Okay. And uh, born in the Republic of New Jersey from parents who migrated from, uh, from Puerto Rico. But my entire ministerial trajectory has been primarily started ministering in uh, East LA and in the southern part of Texas, the Rio Grande Valley, Harlingen, San Benito, San Juan, Tamaulipas, Mexico. Uh, so it's, it's been a wonderful, wonderful journey in interacting as a Puerto Rican, uh, but uh, ministering completely all of my life with Mexican-Americans and the immigrant, understanding the journey. 35% of our churches approximately are composed of undocumented individuals. Hmm. So when we talk about uh, immigration, it's not a political issue. It's a moral issue with definitive kingdom ramifications. And a personal issue for the people who are involved in your church and, and, a, and a pastoral Absolutely. issue for pastors who pastor in such churches. Yes. Um, okay, uh, Danny, why don't you give your background? Yes, good morning. Um, I'm the son of a, a Guatemalan mother, and so I spent a lot of time growing up in Guatemala. As Daryl knows, because we grew up together, I spent almost every summer in Guatemala. We would go to school, uh, stay with family all over the country. And then eventually I ended up teaching in Guatemala for almost 15 years. And then when I came back to the U.S. with my family, we came to Denver, and this is where I, I, I began to hit the immigration issue. And um, slowly, and I guess we'll get to this later, I began to ask myself what the Bible says and how Christians should engage the issue. And I go to an Hispanic church. I'm a member of the Hispanic Ministers Alliance here in Metro Denver. I, I work uh, on the board with uh, Samuel. Samuel is my boss, at, at least in that. <laughs> and uh, I also uh, help them with the immigration piece. So. The son of a uh, Guatemalan immigrant uh, who was raised bilingual, bicultural, and um, the split personality and living in the hyphen, uh, that's, that's part of my, my journey. And uh, his, his mother was my Spanish teacher, so that's the most important thing to know about Danny. Um, uh, uh, Alejandro, uh, tell us where your roots come from. Well, I... Uh was born in Corpus Christi here in Texas, lived in Laredo, and was educated in Austin, and uh, two times here at DTS. Mm -hmm. uh, quite often as I travel around, the Hispanics will ask me where I'm from, what country, and I like to pull their chain by saying, well, my parents went to sleep Mexican, but woke up Texican. <laughs> How I got involved in the immigration part is it's um, – in this work with uh, National Hispanic Ministries, uh, I can't come into a church that does not have significant numbers of Hispanics. And so a whole lot of that is trying to figure out how do we make disciples, how do we plant churches, and how do we do that in the context of uh, the Evangelical Free Church of America. So uh, I also work for Sammy, as we all soon will be, <laughs> and uh, very proud to work with him in the NHCLC. 
Now, um, how large a denomination is Evangelical Free Church? Evangelical Free Church has 1,500 congregations, and many, many of them are in older neighborhoods that are transitioning. And so there, there are a lot of them are have a very heart, big heart for missions. And uh, I'm telling them this is a new mission called Samaria, <laughs> where Samaria will not stay there; they uh -huh. come here. And so what we're trying to do is help our churches understand that they don't have to sell out, move to the North 40. They can stay right there and work internationally in their neighborhood. And am I right that the Evangelical Free Church's roots are actually uh, European immigrants who came over to the States? Right. Norwegian. Okay. I married one. Okay. She was a missionary in Laredo, Texas. Uh, so they do have immigrant, they have immigrant roots, and so it really resonates to them to think about reaching immigrants again. Yeah, well, my, my just to tell my own story before I, I turn to Soraya, is uh, uh, I think my family goes back four or five generations before, the, uh, in terms of immigration. Uh, uh, my, uh, on <clears throat> most sides of my family, uh, Romania and Austria are the roots. Uh, so uh, I think it's important to remind people uh, as we have this discussion that all of us, or many of us, unless we're American Indians, have a um, have a, a rootage that involves immigration at one point or another. Okay, uh, Soraya, tell us your story. How how do you become a part of this conversation? Well, when people ask me where um, I come from, I usually have to ask a question clarifying because of my. Grandparents from from Italy. My other grandparents from from Spain. I was born in Venezuela, and I've been here traveling all over the world, um, as the Lord has me. So right now, I'm in transition to uh, be a full time missionary in Spain, mm. and I migrated here to the United States when I was 16 years old. So, and and you currently, uh, am I right? Your current role is that you. And I don't know whether this is an official position or something that you've chosen to do, but you help people who are immigrating to the United States get acclimated to the States. Is that correct? It is, it's an official position because uh, the big boss gives it to me every time I uh, turn around. <laughs> uh -huh. And uh, But it's actually a labor of love. It's uh, helping others to so go through the volunteer, process. So you volunteer yes. in this area. Yeah, that's, that's how you're, uh, I got your attention. Okay, well let's uh, let's dive in. Danny, uh, I think you're with us here. Let's have it let's start with the biblical base and let's talk about as we approach the issue of immigration, we think about it from a biblical standpoint, orient us um, to the concerns that scripture gives us about how people who are foreigners should be uh, dealt with and treated. Uh, can you hear me, Daryl? I sure can. Because uh, we got cut off just for a few minutes yeah. there. Um, it, it's really uh, – the challenge is to get Christians to actually go to the Bible uh, on this call, on this uh, on this topic. We just lost him. Uh, Samuel, I'll, I'll let you chime in if you're there. Um, have we lost them both? Okay. Um Alejandro? Can I take a shot at that? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um, you know, the, the scriptures are replete all over the place of how we should treat the stranger, the foreigner. Um, and while some people may argue back and forth exactly what does that mean and is that relative, relevant today, I, I just bypass that totally, Daryl. I go straight to the Great Commission. Go, make, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. 
and it doesn't say the ones that are over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me, I basically bypassed the whole political thing and encouraged churches to reach out to who their neighbors are. If they don't know them, uh, they should get to know them. So, you know, the, the law does not say that we can't love them, evangelize them, disciple them, uh, show compassion for them. That's, uh, that's, that's a non-issue right now. So for me, the Bible tells me I am to love, evangelize, disciple all people. And when the government says I can't do that, then I have a, a decision, but they're not. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so in your in your take, the key passage is the Great Commission, which says to go to all the nations. Although the interesting thing, as you've already observed, is is that in one sense you don't have to go anymore. Uh, the nations are coming to us. So, how does that impact how uh, how uh, ch- churches should see their responsibility in your mind? Well, I think right now everybody is very weirded out because of the whole issue of immigration and the legality. There are really some people that don't know if they can talk to them. I even got a letter from one church asking if they can marry them, if they can let them have communion, can they become members. And as far as I'm concerned, um, we just need to continue to hammer away at the fact that they're here legally. Now, that's one group talking Mm -hmm. about illegal. The fact of the matter is, I think there's 50 million immigrants. The 28th largest country in the world is here, first-generation immigrants. And we got to go after all of them, not just the undocumented, but the legal immigrants also. Mm-hmm. And so what we have these large pockets of immigrants all over the place, Muslim, mm-hmm. Chinese. Mm-hmm. And as far as I'm concerned, that's America. And you don't need, we don't need permission from any government to go and exercise the Great Commission. Yes. Um, Danny, we've got you back, so I'll let you uh, start in. We may have to be dealing with this, but that's all right. Uh, we were setting the scriptural back backdrop, and I asked Alejandro which passages he thought were, were important, and he um, opened by talking about the Great Commission, that the call is to go to all the nations. So that gives us kind of a New Testament starting point, but there is more in Scripture uh, to this theme, so I'll let you uh, walk us through it. Yeah, I'll just take a, a quick minute. Um, I actually begin talking about First Peter chapter 2, that all of us as Christians are sojourners and strangers. And what I tell people is, what you're seeing is that migration is a central metaphor for what it means to be a Christian. Now, if that is true, then it actually means that the more we know about immigration and the more we know about it, and no immigrants will actually have a window into the Christian faith that we've never thought of before. And then what I try to do is move people away from the legal issue. Uh, I mean, you have to get to there, but the problem is oftentimes that's where we start. Yes. And what I tell people is that's where we should end. And so uh, I say, at least in my Bible, I've got about 1,200 pages before that. And so <laughs> I, I, I take them to page one, chapter one, Genesis one, the image of God, and get them thinking about immigrants as people. Um, after that, again, just to do this quickly, because I know there's a time frame here, I, I walk them through all kinds of um, narratives in the Old Testament about uh, people on the move, even Abram and Ruth and all these others. Uh, Joseph uh, is, you know, strangers in a strange land. And then I spend some time talking about Old Testament law and ask, does Old Testament law give us some kind of orientation to the kinds of things that we should be looking for in U.S. law? And what can Christians contribute to the legislation discussion? 
And then, uh, you know, then I would move to the New Testament, uh, Jesus, uh, his view of, um, of those who are different, the Samaritans. Of course, he, he was a refugee for, for a time period. Then uh, I try to unpack the theme of New Testament hospitality and Paul's idea that the walls of separation have broken down. So you can see it's, it's all over the scriptures from beginning to end. Um, and I know we don't have the time, but I could do this for hours, Daryl. <laughs> well, I will uh, let restrain your Latin impulse here and, and uh, cause you to hold back. But the point is, is that there really are a variety of ways in which this can be addressed, and there are a variety of angles, and all speak in one way or another positively to a kind of sensitivity to people who are who are here and who have come here. Is is that would that be kind of a bottom line for you, Danny? Yeah, and I think the challenge is to get Christians to consciously begin to to frame their view on immigration from that very basis. Uh, on the activist end, sometimes I'll find people who are interested in immigration and are pro-immigrant, but it's more out of a Christian impulse. They really can't take you anywhere in the Bible. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, uh, I have Christians who just default to Romans 13 and the legal issue. Um, and as Alejandro knows, I mean, I don't know if you'll get to this, Daryl, but he's done a wonderful job uh, nationally developing a program to help churches and Christians get informed and trained in immigration law. So that might be something you might want to talk to Alejandro about, but I commend his work to you. But uh, just getting Christians to be very self-consciously Christian about this is, would be a major step. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson publisher of Grieve, Breathe, Receive, Finding a Faith Strong Enough to Hold Us, written and narrated by Pastor Steve Carter. Grieve, Breathe, Receive. Those three words became a profound mantra for Steve Carter during a season of deep healing, the kind that comes after painful trauma. Grieve, Breathe, Receive is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com slash audio to learn more. Now, Samuel, how do you, how do you view this as uh, president of the National Hispanic Leadership Conference? Uh, let's talk uh, biblically first, and then we'll get into the more practical sides. Uh, what would you add to what, uh, what uh, Alejandro and, and Danny have said to us? No, they frame the biblical context uh, in, in a very adequate manner. It, it's reconciling Leviticus 19 with Romans 13. It's Matthew 25. It's applying the Good Samaritan parable to our current uh, immigrant reality. And what Danny alluded to, Genesis, it's recognizing the Imago Dei, the image of God in every single human being. The way that I phrase it is simple. Uh, because immigration really stands as a politically polarizing uh, issue and debate in America, we attempt to transcend that at the Hispanic Evangelical Association. And the phrase that I use, that immigration is not about the donkey or the elephant, it's more about the agenda of the lamb. It's more about the lamb's agenda. And sometimes, as Christians, we suffer from cultural and political myopia, and and we see things via the spectrum of, the spectrum of uh, a political apparatus rather than prophetic witness. So the charge is, when you wake up in the morning, if you see yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ, then we will see the immigrant with compassion. If you see yourself as one political ideology or the other, then you may see them via the optics that may dilute the very compassionate nature that is embedded in the Word of God. 
Okay, Soraya, now we, we've laid some biblical groundwork here. Let's talk a little bit about the practicalities of what happens when someone comes to the country. What 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 scenarios do you work with on a, on a regular basis as people get accl- acclimated to coming into the country? And I'm assuming that you have contact with people who are attempting to do so both legally and are here illegally as well. What what is that? What exactly does that involve? That's correct. Um, there's a group of people that legally can come into the country as students or um, work visas, Mm -hmm. and then there's a whole path that you go through to help them with that. And then there is uh, the ones that typically you'll find here, because I haven't met anybody on any of the other countries wanting to Mm -hmm. come illegally. But once you find them here, it's a totally different path Mm -hmm. to help them there. Um, But there's a couple of things that are very common to both of them. And one is um, a very obvious one, and that's the language issue. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I would advise anybody that is migrating to any country, of course, to um, research and learn as much as the language, even when you speak the same language. As I'm going to Spain, I'm finding myself trying to look for things that are different, Mm -hmm. uh, because it's the ability to communicate within a community that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Whether it's uh, the exact syntax or grammatical expression is different. Are we communicating or not? Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing um, that I think is also very practical is values. What values really do you hold dear? you know, in your life. Mm-hmm. Because when you uh, migrate to a total different environment, those will be pushed mm-hmm. and those will be exposed mm-hmm. to uh, the new cultural activities and the new cultural forces that you're going to be encountering. So really migrate into a different country. Make sure that you know what you believe in and what your values are to make sure that you don't compromise those that really are important to you. And uh, for Hispanics, family is one of those big values mm-hmm. and is one that often gets compromised in trying to chase the American dream versus family. So it's one that um, we've had to uh, constantly um, help and walk alongside with people in terms okay, of how do, what's how, do, that mean? how do family values get challenged in the pursuit of, of the dream? How exactly does that happen? The opportunities that people have here in order to either obtain further education or uh, work um, is is very extensive compared to many of the countries where people migrate from. And um, if you're not careful, that really can take a life of its own, mm-hmm. where perhaps. Um, seeing your family and spending time with your family is something that gets put on the back burner. Mm-hmm. And the cases, the ones that are coming that are illegal, um, sometimes you have to counsel people that haven't seen their family in years, 10, 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. I recently had to deal with a couple that um, faced a death of, of, a, of a sister and you know he came to this country illegally and he hasn't been able to see his sister and she died. And she, he wasn't. He barely was able to talk to her on the phone, hmm. but that was it. Mm-hmm. So there's a big trade-off. I mean, there's a big price to be paid for that. Hmm. Now, Samuel, let's talk about uh, values a little bit more in the Hispanic community. I know family is an important value. What other values are 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 generally the part of Hispanic culture that those who are not Hispanic may or may not be aware of? Faith, 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 faith across the board. Faith. It's faith, it's family, uh, a great sense, by the way, of entrepreneurship. It really is the 21st century embodiment of Plymouth Rock and Jamestown. You, you have this idea of religious freedom and religious liberty, and you have this idea of um, entrepreneurship, the idea that, hey, in this country, we can start our own business, uh, we can provide to our children something that we did not have, and it is embedded in the Latino DNA. Nuestros niños harán mejor que nosotros. That we will give more for our children and we will pass on to our children 
much more than what we receive. And that's embedded in the Latino DNA. So let's think about it. It's faith, it's family, it's a hard work ethic, it's entrepreneurship. I think these are values that, that permeate the American experience. What what are the what are the dangers and and Alejandro I'll turn to you for this and maybe Samuel you can chip in. Um, what are what are the dangers of someone coming over into the society in terms of what happens to Hispanic values? We've already heard a little bit of the tension that's introduced in relationship to family relationships, but what are the other dangers that you uh, commonly see that uh, Hispanic immigrants run into? Well, there's a culture clash. Um, all the things of their country and the family that help permeate and keep everything together in their worldview are ripped away. Hmm. And so they have opportunities they never had. They have choices they never had. They have media that draws them. So, so many of the things that were kind of like a wound to them are gone and uh, they had default decisions that were being made for them that now they have to make very, very conscious choices. Um, the opportunities can be very, very good and turn out very well. But I agree with my compadres y comadre that, uh, <laughs> this, uh, that this is a, I believe on the net, a very good thing for them here. The choices are difficult, but I think, uh, I think on the net it's, it's good to be here. Uh, Samuel, what do you what do you see? And then Danny, I'm going to come to you next. Well, I mean, again, I agree with, with Dr. Mendez. At the end of the day, it's a net gain across the board, individually and for our country. But there are some values. There are some radical shifts. You put this in perspective from a macro level. In their individual countries, be it in the small farm, be it in the, the, the community in the downtown and what they produce, there's a commitment to production. When they come to America, we become uber consumers. So consumerism really, you know, takes us over. And then there's more of a community uh, component uh, outside the U.S. And in America, there's uber individualism. So there's uber individualism, not just individualism, but uber individualism, uber consumerism. And these two things clash with the Latino DNA coming in. And how, how much risk is there of, of becoming isolated because you're culturally um, – you're, you're culturally disconnected, at least initially, from the culture. Is that a danger, or do people come in groups? How exactly does that work, Samuel? There is a first generation is a generation of self-preservation. It is a generation that is more committed to self-preservation. I'd rather use that than isolation. Mm -hmm. But it is a de facto isolationist sort of outcome. But it's more self-preservation. Second generation, it's more about integration and acculturation. So what happens? That's why these Latino evangelical churches thrive, of course, the commitment to Christ and the vertical outreach, but it's because that Salvadorian church in East L.A., they make pupusas. <laughs> it, it really is. Yeah. They make pupusas, and they play Salvadorian music, and you basically say, hey, this feel, it looks like, it smells like an extension of my native land. Yes. So that first-generation church is primarily immigrant, and primarily committed to self-preservation, leading to isolation. Danny, what do you see in, in your in your interaction in this area? 
Well, let me just add a few things to what has already been said. Uh, yesterday I was up uh, uh, in a town, I'm here in Denver, and so I was up in the mountains at a small church in, in Frisco, uh, which is close to skiing areas, and um, I was speaking, and fascinating church, uh, bicultural church, and they're really working on this. But uh, a number of Guatemalans were there. I mean, here in Colorado, most are Mexican, and they were all from Santa Rosa, from the Departamento de Cuilapa, and they'd all come to Frisco. I mean, so what you're seeing is what Samuel was talking about, where you, 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 you gather together, and they were connected by family and friends uh, you know, from Santa Rosa in, in, in Guatemala. The other thing that I would add uh, to what's been said, and I think the majority culture needs to appreciate this, the, the move to integration is actually a negotiation of loss. And so what I find is, the, is a certain sadness, uh, even though they can get caught up in the consumerism and the individualism, they're negotiating the loss, the loss of language. In the Hispanic church I go to, the kids speak English among themselves, the parents speak Spanish among themselves, the parents will speak to the children in Spanish and the children will answer in English. Inside the home, you're, you're witnessing the negotiation of the loss of language and how, does, how do parents talk to their kids about some of these hard, Hard issues. We also know from statistics that because of the shadow of, of, of the pressure of being undocumented, and you know those who know immigration law realize that if you're here undocumented, there is no path, uh, the, no line to get into, and so they live under this shadow, and so there's increased drug abuse, spouse abuse, and alcoholism in some Hispanic communities because they have this extra layer of pressure every time they go out on the street and every time they get on the road. Uh, the pressure and the fear of being stopped. Whereas families in our church where the father's been taken away to detention centers and that whole layer that people don't know about in this country, a lot of these detention centers are privately run businesses. They're international firms. Uh, here in Denver, there's a 1,400-bed detention center that's run by GEO, an international security firm uh, that gets paid by the government per day, uh, per head. I mean, it, there's all kinds of things that are going on within the Hispanic community that, that lay this... The, the, this shadow over them that is increasingly causing issues within the family itself, and the church becomes the haven for self-preservation and 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 communion and compassion. Danny, let me follow up because I know in reading your book on this topic that uh, that one of the things that struck me was, and that most people are not aware of, is how open our borders were for a long time in encouraging people to come. Not just that, not just that people came and they came illegally, but they were encouraged to come here and find themselves here. And then when kind of the game started to switch, and we became concerned about how open the borders were from a national perspective, all of a sudden these people were caught in this shadow. That you're talking about. Can you elaborate on that some? Well, there's a long history there. I mean, the U.S. is is a country which is full of the history of migration. You know, in, in the mid-19th century, the largest group were the Germans, and you move into the Irish and the Italians, and we slapped quotas on them because they were Catholics. And um, so, th this has been an ongoing issue since the founding of the Republic. Um, and what we find worldwide, because this is another thing that may be important for you, Daryl, the UN guesstimates there's about 215 million people migrating worldwide, mm -hmm. uh, looking for work, food, a new life. The US is just part of a, an international challenge. I mean, so. 
to fix the U.S. issue doesn't really deal ultimately with uh, global economics, which is driving the migration of people. So uh, I think what we need to appreciate is this is about work and jobs uh, worldwide. And this is what happens in this country. Uh, a large percentage of the farming uh, industry is, is done by undocumented immigrants, um, meatpacking plants, uh, a lot of your service industries, whether the restaurants or cutting the grass, all the, the construction largely staffed by undocumented immigrants. So on the one hand, we, we have this you know, uh, help wanted sign. And on the other hand, we have this uh, we don't want you sign. And so this is the clash. And in Washington, this is one of the debates. You see the Chamber of Commerce uh, debating politicians um, because you know business needs their labor. And so those are the uncomfortable uh, global issues that we have to get to and, and then ask ourselves, how does U.S. law somehow integrate into the global economy? Uh, these are the complicated issues that we don't get on bullet point newscasts on our media. So if you just went and said, well, let's shut it all down and stop, we'd actually have whole parts of our society that would also come to halt simultaneously. Is that right? Yeah, and uh, just think about farming. Uh, one of the reasons you can have uh, – you know, food that's reasonably priced is because it's undocumented labor and they don't pay them good wages. Uh, the reason you can go to a shopping mall and enjoy sales uh, on what you buy is because that's being brought in overseas, uh, you know, from labor that's not paid adequately. I mean, a lot of our economy, I mean, if we shut down the undocumented labor force, what would happen to the restaurants, what would happen to landscaping, what would happen to construction, uh, it would just massively close down. So. This is the, another thing that, that people aren't talking about, but which is, is an economic fact. Now, Samuel, as you look at this uh, from, from your angle, uh, and we think about the, the tension between – and I, I think the rest of our time is going to be spent here – the tension between finding a path that is, that is, if I can say it, humane in dealing with the immigration problem and that it's realistic, and yet at the same time dealing with the legal concerns. How does the – how does the uh, conference view that tension, and how are you, from your end, trying to address uh, these issues? It's a framework, and, and that framework reconciles Leviticus 19 and Romans 13. One, we have to stand committed to providing some sort of pathway for integration for these individuals. Second, we, we have, as a sovereign nation, every right to protect our borders. There is whether we like it or not, a de facto narco-trafficking war taking place in particularly northern Mexico. Uh, our states and our nation carries the right to protect our citizens. We need to protect those borders. By the way, if we have technology to be able to read a license plate in Afghanistan from hundreds of miles in the skies, do you think that we can uh, detect uh, 200 uh, undocumented individuals crossing the Rio Grande with backpacks? Uh, the answer is yes, we have that technology. The, it's just more of resource allocation of whether or not we have the will to engage that technology in our borders, both southern and northern borders. But third, we have to look at guest worker programs and our, our future flow issue, visas. Uh, I, I have a little bit of a concern with some of the proposed legislation forthcoming uh, that addresses future flow guest workers with a little bit of myopia. Myopia meaning it's more about almost exclusively about business now and very little about family reunification. And as a pastor, I concern myself with that. We need to balance that out. That coin has two sides to it, and it's both business sector 
and family reunification. I think those are the major components. As the, as the association, we endorse an, an idea that's been signed on now by the National Association of Evangelicals, the Southern Baptists, uh, a number of very uh, prominent evangelical organizations across the country saying that the best pathway is one that reconciles Leviticus 19 with Romans 13. We have to include some, some pathway to integration while simultaneously protecting our borders. So this is a situation which, although in the United States often the conversation is polarized and you have to choose, and it kind of an either-or, you're saying that what you all are advocating is a, is a both-and, that you want, Absolutely. on the one hand, a way of assimilating and getting people really to become productive members of the society when you assimilate people, that's part of what you're providing for. You're making it easier for them uh, to become full participants and thus full uh, producers to the society and contributors to the society rather than having to live in this shadow that we've talked about, while on the other hand also honoring a state's right to to not only control its borders, but also to control its its population growth and whether it can handle the population growth and the stress on infrastructure, et cetera, that comes with that. Is that is that a fair way to characterize what's being done here or what's being uh, argued for? It's it's both and. It's not either or. You're right. It is both and. Uh, but again, uh, it's it's doing away with the extremes. By the way, everyone agrees deportation. It's not practical. We can't afford to deport 11 to 12 million individuals. We don't have the manpower to deport 11 to 12 million individuals. So if we can't deport them, what do we do with 11 to 12 million individuals living in the shadows? Not to mention the families that that breaks up right. if you do it. And families have been broken up. Yeah. Uh, so what do we do? We integrate them. I think that's not only the Christian thing to do, it's, it's the right thing to do across the board. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just a matter of, of, of having prophetic will. I think we, sacri- we sacrifice the moral imperative. We sacrifice doing the right thing on the altar of political expediency. This issue has been more about politics than it, than it has been about doing the right thing. And we have all these families and individuals that are currently suffering when we really understand what the answer is. Join us next week for part two of The Table Podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth, love well. This episode was brought to you in part by Just These Guys, you know? A pastor and a psychologist team up to break down scripture and psychology empowering you to transform by the renewing of your mind. Listen today at justtheseguys.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Just These Guys, you know?